Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning, and welcome to Black Free Thinkers, where we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Yet again, I will say that we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. My name is Kimberly Veal, and welcome to the show. Oh, there's been so much going on, so much going on, so much to talk about. But, um, (laughs) you know, you all have been living this reality, you know, just like myself. And, again, just looking around and seeing what's happening in our, you know, political landscape, you know, not just the run for the presidency, but some of the laws that have been enacted, you know, throughout the country and, you know, watching some of these, um, you know, rallies. And in addition to that, you know, what we have started um, basically, you know, uh, people waiting in line hours, hours just to vote. And so, you know, We've talked about poll taxes and things of that nature, but, yeah, we need to talk about it a little bit more because, (laughs) you know, um, it's just so much that's happening. And, you know, I'm starting to believe that there are too many of us that don't know and don't care. So, you know, when I see people standing in line for five, six, seven hours to vote, in some cases, you know, 11, 12 hours, and they've already declared a winner before those people even get a chance to vote. So you all have been keeping up with the news, I'm sure, and you've been seeing what's happening. You know, you have Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton and others suing these different states that have made some, you know, horrible mistakes. You know, um, they ran out of ballots in Flint, Michigan, ironically. And so, (laughs) you know, people being purged off the voting list, you know, a lot of these things here. So you need to pay attention to what's happening, and you need to be asking why. You should be asking questions. And in addition to that, not only asking questions, you should be engaging, um, you know, those politicians, you know, where you reside. I mean, that's extremely important that you all start engaging these folks and asking some hard questions. And so, you know, I'll get to that a little bit later, but, you know, I had started tweeting at some of these black pastors in Chicago that were traditionally voting for the Democratic Party And then this last election cycle, they decided to vote for a Republican candidate, you know, Governor Rauner. And many people in their congregations, many people in their neighborhoods, um, you know, just people in general, you know, members of their congregation, you know, there were questions being asked as to why that happened, right? And, you know, I was tweeting at them, and I also tweeted at the governor, 
And because an article came out in the Chicago Tribune about how Governor Rauner stated that he will support whoever the GOP nominee would happen to be. And we all pretty much knew (laughs) that, you know, um, Donald Trump was going to be the presumptive um, nominee for the, you know, Republican Party. And so, you know, this time, you know, this week, a few days ago, he stated that he would not be going to the Republican convention because there's work that needs to be done in Illinois. And, you know, what's interesting is, is that, you know, they're still, they still haven't passed the budget in the state. Um, Chicago State University, you know, they're protesting over there because there is no money. There is no money, and they've had to lay off 300 you know, staff, you know, at Chicago State, as well as other public, um, you know, um, institutions, you know, that need that money, need their state allocations in order to keep these campuses running. And that hasn't even started, you know, to be resolved. And so I believe that, you know, pressure was put on Governor Rauner, as well as some others, you know, to kind of reconsider you know, some of the statements that they made. And what's interesting is, you know, that's been happening across the country. And so I would just tell you guys, keep putting that pressure on them. Keep asking these questions, all of these things, you know, because it's needed. Trust me, it's needed. And they need to be able to explain some of the decisions that they're making. And again, you know, what I'm trying to get you guys to understand is that we actually do have the power. And so this is why, you know, I've been appealing to um, communities of color, you know, primarily the Latino and the black community, but, you know, the Asian community and the Native American communities, those are needed as well. You know, in addition to that, the poor working class white community. Because what I will say to you is when Kevin Williamson and others, you know, that write um, for the National Review, they got angry. And they told you how they really feel about you and your communities. You know, um, initially they had been flattering you and telling you how important you were. And, yes, you were important to them because they needed your money in order to, you know, put forth, you know, their particular platform. They needed your votes, you know, and, and you know, and your support. I mean, there are a number of ways in which they needed you. And now that you didn't elect the people that they wanted you to elect, like Jeb Bush, You know, that's one of the biggest examples there. And now they're angry. And in this anger, they're telling you how they feel about you. And what's interesting is the, you know, the the demographics of that particular population, those happen to be ethnic whites. And so, you know, we've talked about a number of issues on this show. And I know I've angered a number of people, 
and I see you callers, just give me a few minutes, and I know that I've angered a number, a number of people. And, you know, what I'm saying to you is you need to pay attention to what's happening out here, why they're so angry, and now, you know, the backlash you're receiving. So, you know, now they're angry and upset at you. And some of the, you know, things that they said to you are things that, you know, working class and poor whites like to basically flaunt in the faces of African Americans. And so, again, it's it's been really, truly interesting um, how this is working. And what I would say to you is you all really need to rethink, you know, what's happening out here. You need to look at the broader picture, the bigger picture, because we will be able to get more done collectively because there are not enough white voters to just go ahead and vote Donald Trump in, just like there are not enough white voters to singularly vote um, Hillary Clinton in. They need all caps the the community of color, you know, the communities of color vote. They need us. And I feel that we should use this to our advantage. And, you know, what's interesting about it is, you know, I was talking with some friends and I was talking about, you know, what we could do collectively to kind of force some of the changes that we want. And, you know, one of the problems is we have a hard time working together because everybody wants to be the chief. Everybody wants to be the one in charge, and then it turns into an ego issue. And I'm telling you guys, we're going to have to figure out something because, you know, this is absolutely ridiculous. And we got to start somewhere. And so, you know, I'm just, this whole race, You know, and this is not the I told you so show. I see you, Paul. Just give me a few. This is not the I told you so show. That's coming later. But, you know, we warned you. I remember specifically in September and October, you know, Raina and I spoke specifically to the communities and told people to stop laughing that, you know, Donald Trump really did have a chance to become the presumptive nominee. And everybody was laughing and blowing it off and saying, no, that'll never happen. And, hmm, my, 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 have things changed? So, you know, what I'm saying to you is you all need to take this seriously. He knocked all of those other ones out of the race. And, you know, while some of us, you know, we're sitting around and laughing and joking, and he won. He won. It doesn't matter if he won, you know, through attrition. That doesn't matter. He won. And, you know, we're trying to get you to understand the severity of that. He won. It's so... Um, It's really interesting because, you know, you still have people walking around saying that they will not vote for Hillary Clinton, you know, if she beats, you know, Bernie Sanders. And, you know, I get it. Some of you all hate 
Hillary Clinton. You know, I don't hate the woman, but I don't want to vote for her either. But I also don't want Donald Trump to win. And we've discussed on this show about how some of the people that are feeling the burn are saying that, you know, basically they will not vote for Hillary under any circumstances whatsoever. And, you know, a few of them got pretty upset with me when I started talking about how their white privilege affords them the ability to not go out and vote. And, you know, I've seen some chatter, and, of course, you know, people were resenting, you know, the fact that, you know, we're talking about white supremacy and white privilege and how it's going to possibly impact this particular um, election. And, you know, of course they resent that. You know, I get it. I understand. But that doesn't make it go away. So, I mean, it's just, I just need for you guys to pay attention and to see what, you know, what is really happening in this country. Because, again, you have a number of angry white men um, that are out here and they're mad and they're not going to take this shit anymore. That's basically what they're saying. And so (laughs) you're starting to see them rage against the machine. One of the callers fell off. Call on back in. I'm going to get to you all eventually. But, you know, you see a lot of these white people raging, you know, against the machine. And so, you know, um, what I'm saying to you guys is, you know, it, it. you have these people, and they'll give you their reasonings, you know, their logic as to why, you know, they're so angry. And, you know, I'm just calling, not calling, but I'm just, you know, here to let you know that in, in many of those cases, you know, there's, you know, latent racism. But the thing is, is that, you know, Donald Trump, has basically told them that it's okay if it's overt. And so you're starting to see even more of that. And so I'm like, you know, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Maya Angelou said that and Oprah added the first time. And so what we're seeing with Donald Trump, you know, look at this guy. He's telling you how he feels and, you know, (laughs) The rest of America is telling you how they feel, too. You have people that are saying that he's making America racist again and never stop being racist. And you have some people that are out here saying that, you know, the behaviors and attitudes that we're seeing at these Trump rallies. And, you know, Trump isn't the only one. You know, a lot of this is happening at the Cruz rallies. And truth be told, some of this, you know, is at the Democratic rallies, you know, as well. Some of the voters for that particular party, you know, do not believe the fallacy or the myth that the Democratic Party does not have races. That's not true. And if you go back and look into the history of the Democratic Party, the Dixiecrats, you'll see, you know, the racism behind that. And But the thing is, is that now they're hiding behind the shield of progressive and liberal. Sometimes they add them together, progressive, liberal. 
And, you know, that is to shield them from accusations of racism. It doesn't work with me, but, you know, it happens. And so, guys, I just want you to pay attention. Um, Over in London, they elected their first Muslim mayor. And white folks are having a shit fit. And so his name is Sadiq Khan, and he was just sworn in. And, you know, you know, I identify with a number of different um, cultures or movements happening um, across the world, actually. So I cannot wait to see what some of the old great white men in some of these communities have to say about London electing a Muslim mayor. And so this is going to be quite interesting. So for those of you that are in the secular community, brace yourself. You know, I think I'm going to start spending more time on Twitter because I can't wait to see what comes out of certain people's mouths because, you know, they always tend to keep me entertained. And what's interesting is you still have people in this country um, or in this particular secular community that tells us and others, when we start talking about racism, they try to tell us that racism and sexism and homophobia, xenophobia, you know, and the list goes on, how that is a part of religion. And when they stopped being religious, whether they were, you know, Christian, Catholic, what have you, they they try to, you know, rope up, dope us into believing that when they stopped being Christian, that they stopped being racist. And that's not true. You know, or they stopped being sexist, you know, D, all of the above. And that is not true because what they're trying to do is shift those negative, you know, um, characteristics, those negative tropes or, you know, what have you. They're trying to force that on religion as though that is the only place where it exists. That's not true. And, you know, there's a lot of that in this community. And, you know, this is why, you know, I talk about it. And what's interesting is, you know, they've elected some, well, I won't say elected because, you know, they didn't put in a vote, but, you know, they've selected, I guess that's the better word, they've selected certain people of color to be their mouthpiece, if you will. And what's interesting about all of that is that now they have these particular people out here touting that um you know that you know there there isn't as much racism in this community as we as some of us claim and that is untrue you know i actually think there's more racism in this community than than we've talked about you know and there are just very subtle ways in which they show it And, of course, they're trying to cover it up. And what's so interesting is that you have, you know, some, you know, white people in these communities, you know, across the board that are saying that us talking about racism and pointing out the racism in these particular communities, they're saying that it's divisive 
And then they want to argue the point that it's not about race, that it's about class. And what they don't seem to understand is, you know, okay, when you're talking about, and this is to the white people, when you're talking about, you know, this being a class issue, you got to remember we're looking at this and living this from two very different worlds. You know, once you have been determined or accepted into the Venn diagram of being white, then there is a hierarchy. There is a hierarchy to whiteness. But when you start talking about racism and coming from, you know, a community of color and from our particular perspective, yeah, well, you know, we have some, you know, class issues, but it's about race because we are at the we're at the lowest rungs of that particular hierarchy that you all have created. And so, you know, some of you, it's hard for you to, you know, look at this from our particular perspective because you've never had to deal with this racism to the same extent that we've had to deal with it. So you're not going to understand it. And there are way too many of you that, you know, you feel that it's your duty, white people, to determine and define what racism is. And what's so interesting about it is when we decry racism in certain situations, you know, you feel that you have the right to tell us what racism is, that you have the right to define what racism is, that you have the right to determine and to tell, you know, these communities of color what we really need and what we should be doing and that we don't know what's best for us in our communities, but you do. And then you turn around and act as though you do not understand why we resent that, why we get angry when you say and do these things. And when we try to explain it to you and we try to break it down, then you get angry and you get upset. And so, you know, this is one of the reasons why we have this show, so that we can, you know, convey, share some information with you all that some of you do not know. Some of you all do know this information. But instead of, you know, telling people the truth, you'd rather write it in a book and have people to buy it. And so this is what I find interesting, especially in a lot of these communities that, you know, that always, or not always, but in many of these communities in which, you state that capitalism is bad and how you want to dismantle and deconstruct this, you know, capitalist, um, you know, mindset and, and, and you know, um, institution that we have here. But yet you're still living in that particular world because instead of doing it from the heart, Instead of sharing this information freely, you decide to put it in a book and to sell it to the people. And, I mean, I understand you got to put food on your table because, you know, we always, you know, look, we need to have, you know, shelter. We need to have food. We need jobs. You know, we need all of those things. And I get that. 
I understand it. But what I don't understand is how you can rail against capitalism, you know, while yet participating in the capitalist system by selling your book with information that people can get freely. The problem is they don't know what to look for. And that's one of the reasons why we have this show. You know, and I'll tell you guys, we don't get any money for this show. I I, I receive nothing. And, you know, as far as, you know, um, monetary compensation, there's no remuneration for me. You know, I do this because I believe that it's important to do. I give you all information because I think it's important for you all to get this information. You know, one of the old um, sayings that, you know, have been around for a long time is if you want to keep something away from black people or the black community, put it in a book. Now, that's unfortunate, but unfortunately, there's, you know, a ring of truth to that. And that's why, you know, we read these books and we come and talk to you about it on this show. You know, I want to expand, um, you know, this platform and, you know, another platform. And, you know, we're going to do that, you know. But, again, I have health issues and it's just been a number of things that have been, you know, uh, put in my way, a number of obstacles. But, you know, we're working on that. And so I just ask that you continue to be patient with me. You know, I'm slowly getting my focus back. And we all know what happens when I get focused, you know, things get done. So, I mean, it's a lot to talk about. But, you know, the question of the day is, how did we go from yes, we can, to Black Lives Matter, to say her name, to movement for black people, to, you know, um, to, you know, just a number, you know, um, black power, yellow peril, and on and on and on. How do we go from that to what the fuck? Because right now, you know, I am seeing a lot of communities of color and, you know, people of color saying what the hell is really going on around here. And this is in respect to um, Donald Trump being the presumptive GOP nominee. And, you know, in addition to that, you know, the rallies and, you know, this White Lives Matter movement, because that is what it is. And, you know, for those of you that, you know, have issues with Donald Trump, you know, again, I'll say this. You all were fine with him when he was endorsing you and giving you money. And the reason why many of these wealthy white, you know, Republicans as well as Democrats don't be fooled. You know, it's the Democrats, too. They have a problem with him because they believe that he's going to hurt their bottom line. You know, and I think they're more afraid of him for that than anything else. And so it's really interesting watching how they're, you know, searching desperately for someone to run as a third-party candidate. And, you know, just just keep your eyes and your ears open. You know, something amazing happened over the weekend with the Democratic Party that, you know, they voted overwhelmingly. 
to get rid of the superdelegates, but, you know, that won't take place until 2020. And so you have that happening, and we need to start putting pressure on these people for basically we, you know, we need for them to justify why we still need delegates as well as the electoral college. You know, if they're going to say that this is a democratic vote that the, you know, that the people get to vote, then why do we need these other folks? So I mean, these are things that you know you, we need, you know we really need to think about, and we need to discuss who they are, why they were put in place, and why are they still needed, or if they are still needed. So you know you have a number of different perspectives, but at the end of the day, by having these you know delegates and super delegates in the electoral college, basically when I see this. You know, what it makes me feel like, what it says to me is, you know, they believe the powers that be, the elite, um, they believe that the population is really too ignorant and too stupid to know what's really good for them or to know who really to vote for. And this is why I understand some of the people who say that their vote doesn't count. You know, I can see why they have that particular um, narrative stuck in their head, you know, and so, you know, you know, this needs to be discussed. This needs to be a national conversation, and it needs to be confronted, and it needs to be, you know, um, you know, they need to level the playing field because, again, just sitting here and watching how Hillary is being coronated and Donald Trump, you know, I guess, you know, the emperor has new clothes, right? And so the whole thing is, like, really interesting. And so I've talked about, you know, principles and how, you know, I really do believe that the Republican Party was giving Donald Trump a hard time and that they were unfair to him in in certain respects. But I said the same thing about Bernie Sanders and, you know, the cloak of socialism and communism that a lot of these people are hoisting upon him without actually reading about socialism and democratic socialism and where exactly he's coming from and how this McCarthyism is seeping back into the American culture. And you need to go and read about that and understand why that is, number one, dangerous, and number two, how that has impacted this country in a number of ways. You need to understand how God you know, under God, you know, became a part of the Pledge of Allegiance, and in God we trust how it was put on paper money as well as coin money, because those were done at two different times. So go back, research this, read. I want you to read. I want you to fact check. I want you to challenge others. I want you to critique them. Call it out. That's fine. Even if you disagree with what I have to say, I've never had a problem with that. I just say, bring it, but be able to support your argument, you know, and I don't debate. We can talk about it, and we can move from there, but you need to understand what's happening in this country, and I've been talking for a while. We've been doing this show since 2011, and I've been talking about this undercurrent that has been building up in this country. 
And, you know, slowly we've been seeing this manifest. And so, um, you know, we're living in a very, very dark and dangerous time. And, you know, as much, much more, you know, that I definitely want to pontificate about. But, um, <laughs> you know, there are a number of things that, you know, we need to get to. And, you know, we will. You know, we may not hit it all today, but that's fine. We have plenty of time and many, many, many shows coming up. And, you know, with me, I'm kind of being boxed into a corner for the simple fact that I'm probably, you know, I've been talking about it for a while, and I know you all are saying, yeah, 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 Kim. You've been saying that you're going to start writing and la, 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 la. We're still waiting on that. And it's just the funniest thing ever because it's like, yeah, you know, I, I'm a pretty good writer. I just don't really like to do it. You know, but I'm going to have to start because what's interesting is that you have people listening to, you know, this podcast and other podcasts and reading writings by other people, and then they just turn and take these talking points as their own in their attempt to capitalize on it. And, you know, again, I'm not trying to make any money from this. I'm not going to capitalize on it. But what I am going to do is, you know, write about these things and put it on a blog, you know, start our little blog. And then, you know, I'm actually thinking about writing, um, starting to write books. You know, I have three very um, different um, subject matters that I definitely want to write about. And, you know, I can pretty much guarantee you that all the profits and proceeds from those books will go to various organizations and charities that I support because I don't want the money. But, you know, I'd rather have the money come to me and then we can utilize that, you know, to start some programs and to help other programs. It does not make sense to start, you know, another program in the same city where we have 15 other people, you know, running the same type of programs. We need to work together and streamline a lot of the money and the ideas. But again, part of the problem is who gets to be in charge, you know, who's going to be the H-Nick, if you will. And so, you know, it's a lot of things that we need to work on. But anyway, you know, guys, like I said, we told you last year to stop laughing at this fiasco, and here we go. You know, May 2016, and he's the presumptive nominee. We told you. I just wish more people would have listened, but it's fine. So, I mean, you know, watching these rich white people, whether they're Republican or Democrat or what have you, watching them having public meltdowns, I've never seen anything like it. And, yes, I am entertained by it. I shouldn't be. But I am. And what's interesting is, you know, they're human just like the rest of us. We're all fallible. And in many cases, you know, some of us 
will only tell the unadulterated truth when we're angry. And the truth is being told how they really feel about us. Because that rant wasn't only against working class and poor white people. Don't ever make yourself believe that. That's a myth. That was a, that was about all of the rest of us that are not a part of their particular club, if you will. So, you know, guys, go research. I want you all to go and do some research on the t- trillionaire class because that's what's happening now. You know, we have trillionaires that are getting ready to be coordinated, if you will. And, you know, some of you guys, you know, your pastors, your ministers, you know, some of the people that you look up to, your mentors, what have you, you know, they're selling you off. And basically they're telling these politicians that they have control of you and that they can influence your vote, influence your mindset, influence, you know, um, you know, whatever direction that you may happen to be going in. And you all need to understand what's happening. You know, we did some shows on Jedi mind tricks. And like I said, I'm going back and we're going to do it again. I'm going to go back and I'm going to redo some of those old subject matters and update them with, you know, what we've been dealing with since we originally did the podcast. So, you know, these were the podcasts from 2011 to like maybe 2013. So we're going to revisit that. We're going to update, you know, these things. So with, you know, real life current examples. And so, you know, again, I'm thanking all of you guys that have been supportive of me over the last five years and particularly those that have been supportive of me for the past year and a half. You know, last year was a little rocky for me, you know, with the health issues and then some political issues and, you know, so on and so forth. But what I will say is that, you know, I appreciate your support of the show. I appreciate your listening to the show. I even appreciate, you know, when some of you all take the talking points that, you know, that I bring up on this show. That's fine. I don't have a problem with it. But what I will say is please try to keep it in context. If you're going to repeat what I say or quote me in the proper context, I've overlooked a lot of things, but, you know, now that I reside in the land of I don't give a fuck, I'm going to start calling it out, calling it out publicly and by name. Why? Well, we already know my response to the why question, so there you go. And so, like I said, you know, just looking at this, guys, look at this. You know, you have, you know, one of the Koch brothers saying that, you know, they're more partial to Hillary Clinton. And some of these wealthy white Republicans and their organizations are now donating money to Hillary, and Hillary's campaign is, you know, appealing to them for money. And I'm just sitting here, 
And, you know, we're in a secular community. You know, a lot of people, you know, you rest your laurels on logical fallacies and how this is a logical fallacy and that is a logical fallacy, so on and so forth, yet you do not even realize that you all are perpetuating logical fallacies. You know, the appeal to emotion. If Bernie doesn't win, I'm not voting for anybody so not only, you know, is it an appeal to, you know, emotion and several other appeals, again, your white privilege affords you the ability to say that. And you don't even see it. And you want to argue against that point, but it's true. And especially some of you so-called progressive liberals that are allies to communities of color. No, you're not. If you are willing to sit back and allow people who are outright racist, outright sexist, outright homophobic, transphobic, D, all of the above, then you're not an ally. Now, I'm not saying that you should vote for Hillary, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't. All I'm saying is, Assess the situation. And in in how will a Trump presidency impact this country? How will a Trump presidency impact communities of color? How will a Trump presidency impact poor communities? And you need to think about that because it's not only, you know, going to impact the black community, Latino, Native communities, it's going to impact the LGBTQ community, it's going to impact the, you know, the disabled, you know, community, it's going to impact women, so on and so forth. So, you know, I'm trying to get you all to see the bigger picture especially for some of you that are racist out there and that listen to the show, and I know you listen to the show. There are some of you out there that absolutely hate me and hate what I have to say, yet you tune in regularly. Hi, and thank you. Please join us again. And, you know, what's so interesting is there are some of you out there that agree with my politics, but you state that you're not supporting me for one reason or another, hi, thanks for listening. I appreciate the support. And so <laughs> I know you're out there, and I know you're listening because you can't help yourself. But in addition to that, I see you stealing the talking points. How about that? And so, you know, I find all of this just absolutely hilarious. And, you know, we've never seen anything like this presidential race in our in my life. You know, I can't speak for others, but I've never seen anything like this. And so, yes, this has been pretty fascinating. It's exciting. I can't wait to watch the RNC convention, you know, because basically they're usually a snooze fest. But this year promises to be you know, a lot of fun. And so what was interesting is, you know, for those of you who were not aware, but, you know, um, 
some Democratic voters trolled the Republican, you know, party. And they're still trolling them, but one of the methods that they use is they, they put up a petition for the Secret Service to allow, you know, weapons to be in the convention hall in Cleveland. And the Secret Service was like, no, that's not going to happen. But, you know, that was started by some Democrats, you know, trolling the Republicans. And, you know, while it was funny, not so much, you know, because we have some folks out there that are just outright scary, you know. And so, you know, I'm laughing because not enough of us are taking this seriously. And you really do need to take this seriously. If there is a low voter turnout, the Republicans will win. And I'm just making sure that you guys understand this. And so we need to get out. We need to get the vote out. We need to inspire and motivate you know, these young people to go out to vote, not only during the presidential elections, but during the mid you know, elections too, you know, the midterm elections. And so, you know, that's usually where we get creamed. And, you know, again, the strategy that the Republicans have had in place is they've been taking over the governorships, they've been taking over the state legislatures, they've been taking over, you know, um, you know the local politics, and this is why their agenda and platform has gotten wealthier and bigger. And we, you know, we definitely want you guys to understand how this works and why it's so important for you guys to go out here and vote and to understand this, you know, this process and why you're so important. And so, guys, get out there. I'm telling you, you know, during the Republican National Convention, you know, I'm going to throw a party because we're going to have popcorn and not just your regular popcorn that you make in the kitchen. No, I'm getting the good stuff. We're going to have some cheese popcorn, some caramel popcorn, you know, and I don't know. I think I want to play into the stereotype. So we may have some chicken, some watermelon, and all of that good, fun stuff. So, you know, and I'm being facetious. I shouldn't have to tell you that I'm being sarcastic, but some people don't seem to understand that. Some people don't want to understand it, so they want to go and run with that and make a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah, go run and tell that, you know, because I literally don't give a shit. But um, so, again, where do we go from here? What are we going to do? Now, Donald Trump is about to start receiving memos from the CIA and, you know, getting, um, you know, classified information. You guys really want him to have that? And on, on Cinco de Mayo, he tweeted out a picture of him eating a taco salad saying that he loved Hispanics. And Reince Priebus, you know, the head of the Republican thingy there, um, (laughs) 
in saying that Donald Trump is trying. Really? I mean, I'm surprised I didn't see him eating neck bones during Black History Month. What the hell? Do you all really find this acceptable? And so, you know, and again, we don't play into respectability politics. So I'm not, you know, I'm not going that way. I just want you guys to think about it because if eating a taco salad and saying that you love Hispanics is your way of trying to build a bridge between these communities, I can only imagine what is in store for us if this guy wins. And to be honest with you, no one really knows what the hell he stands for because he changes it. And, (laughs) you know, he's been given a pass. So, guys, you know, what are we going to do? Importantly, what are we going to do if he happens to get elected? Because, you know, I'm telling you right now, um, you know, a lot of things have transpired in this country over, you know, the decades, the centuries, and all of that. But, you know, white folks, if you think you're going to be able to walk up to black people and call us the N-word or physically assault us, disrespect us, our culture, as well as other, you know, um, you know, communities of color, you're sadly mistaken. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, I, you know, I beg you guys to go and to do the research because, you know, there was a point in time, and it's not even was, there is, you know, but there was a point in time when black people were walking on the sidewalk and white people were walking towards them on that same sidewalk they had to step off the sidewalk into the street to allow that white person to pass. That white people were able to just start beating on black people with impunity just because they were having a bad day or they freaking felt like it. And you see what's happening now, you know, in our communities, being gunned down like we're, you know, animals, and they're getting away with it. You know, it is getting worse, and it's getting more exposure, which is what is needed. But you all need to start asking more questions, and you need to start challenging more, and you need to start critiquing more. You know, look, there was a study that came out, and, you know, I saw that, you know, flowing through the news feeds. And, you know, some of you all are concerned with, how your friends will view you and what they will think if you talk about racism and, you know, and how toxic that is and sexism and blah, 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 blah. You know, this study says most of the people you call friends, they don't like you anyway. So what do you have to lose? Not a damn thing. So you need to think about this. You need to think about this long and hard. You know, and like I said, I'm not saying yay, I'm not saying nay. I'm not telling you to do that. I just know what's best for me. 
and I am going to vote and make decisions based on what I feel is best for, you know, us collectively. Because sometimes, you know, the need of the aggregated group is greater than the need of an individual. So, you know, we're going to get more into this because, again, we need to take this situation and spin it to our, you know, to our advantage. And there are ways to do this. But I'm going to go ahead and take this call from Anonymous and let's see. Let's see how this goes. So, Anonymous. Hi. I would I would ask you know with whom I'm speaking, but um, what are your comments? You have a question. Hello, good morning, and happy Mother's Day. Well, thanks. First, I wanted to just check if you can hear me. Okay, can you? Hear Anonymous, me? are you there? Oh boy. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? All right. Well, we'll put you back on mute. And if you press one, and then you know it was a Skype call, but you know when you're ready, you can call back or put your finger up again. Let me know you're ready to talk. But anyway, you know, um, collectively in this country, there are a number of things that we can do. And so, you know, I've talked about some of the political parties of the past you know, and, and some of the change that they were able to affect, right? And, okay, Anonymous, we're going to try this again. Hey, Anonymous, can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Hello. Oh, uh, Sorry, I got I got a mic problem with the uh, – anyway, uh, yeah, I've been listening to your show, and um, – I think that there's a lot of, uh, I can really hear the, uh, I suppose you could say I could hear the heart behind it, you know, because uh, I, I often, I mean, I just, I mean, everyone's got their issues that they're going through. Uh, everyone's right. got their own mountains, that, you know, and it's sad because we live in a very lonely world. I mean, you know, I, I just give you a little bit of background about my life. I, I kind of, I've been very interested in anthropology and uh, and ethnology and that sort of thing because you know, there's a lot of beautiful cultures and, and, and great customs and, and good things and a lot of bad things in the world as well throughout history. And unfortunately, instead of like kind of looking and celebrating the good aspects of culture and learning to, uh, you know, create a better humanity for the most part, a lot of people, it seems a lot easier to just, you know, because we live in a disorganized world. We live, we live in a very damaged world. Uh, unfortunately, right. well, what I've been doing is I've been trying to figure out how do we, you know, how do we live oh, for me on my own personal journey? You know, how do I live a better life? And I've been very broken myself. So without getting too soppy about it, um, I mean, I, uh, I'm currently experiencing a lot of racism myself. And um, in my, my heart goes out to people that are being uh, damaged and hurt by that in the United States. Because, I mean, I live in a country where, you know, it's illegal or not, not illegal, I should say. Well, it's illegal if I, uh, if I break the rules. But I mean... Right. Um, Let's put it this way. It's discouraged. It's, it's like uh, if you lie and you employ a white person and you say that they're a black person and they find out that it, was, that it was a white person that you employed instead of that black person, man, and you cheat on that, then you can be uh, you know, in serious trouble. Right. Exactly. And I mean, you know, uh, and it, may, we, may I ask where you're from? 
Well, it's basically, I mean, I just want to give you some background. I was, I was, I was born into the so-called new South Africa, okay, which is not new. Okay. All, all three of our presidents, on, they have British knighthoods, okay? They're all part of the British knighthood orders. So this, mm-hmm. Britain's never not run this country, right? So what right. really makes me angry is, like, I've tried to get involved in helping people with stuff because i got some IT skills and stuff like that. And uh, I've been to some Pan-African meetings and stuff like that. I've, I've received nothing but hatred because of the color of my skin. Like, overall, like, some people, they tolerate me or they're, like, giving me the time of day. But then there's always, like, enough people around to be like, listen, man, we don't want your kind around here. And it just kills everything because I'm, like, trying to figure out how to change the country how to, even though I'm, I'm pretty broken myself with all my own, my own issues. Uh, and, and then, you know, you get told, well, listen, man, we just don't want, you know, it, it, but it's subtle. It is so subtle as well, because it's like, you know, you, you, like, for example, you have a room of like a hundred people and you put your hand up to speak and they just never get to you. Or, uh, you know, cause you, you're the one white guy sitting there trying to say, well, I've got some ideas about this and, you know, race is a construct. It's a construct. It, it is, it is real. It is real. But, uh, Anyway, mm-hmm. thanks for letting me speak. Uh, I appreciate it. Okay, you're very welcome. And so I want to address um, some of the things that you stated, and I just want to make sure I clarify. So you believe that you're being um, discriminated against because you're one of the only or the only white person in the room. No, no, well, let me put it this way. Basically... Basically, you know, when you, you want to stand up and say something, I mean, <laughs> how can I put this? Um, oh, it's not even that. Let's take a better example. Um, if, I, if, if this isn't a racist policy, I don't know what is. Like, I didn't vote for apartheid, a so-called apartheid. It's a stupid-ass word. Let's just say it in English. Segregation. Mm-hmm. Okay? I say right. stupid because people were forced to learn Afrikaans, which is, I was so annoyed about that. Like when I was in school, I was forced to learn Afrikaans. I wanted to learn French. I'm like, why? You know, but that's the thing. It's a construct. So uh, let's take a better example. If I, go to, if I go to try to get a job, okay, at a company, mm-hmm. and they need to fill a quota of black people because the government says, we will give you tax breaks if you employ black people instead of white people. doesn't matter if the white person's got better qualifications. doesn't matter if they're better at their job. We, we want you to employ a black person. I've heard horror stories of people that are like, that are so angry because they got fired from their job so that they could employ a black person because they get tax breaks. And now this person has to train this other person to take their job. They have to give them training to be able to get their package to leave the business, their bonus or whatever to say, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for your 40 years of service or whatever it might be doing the job really well, whatever it is, you know, 10 years, 20 years, doesn't really matter. And, but Uh but goodbye. I mean, how do you feel about that? Okay, so you're talking about so-called reverse racism. And, no, 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 just you know, racism. What, there is no reverse. In my opinion, there's no exactly. reverse racism. It's just, right, you know, and, and that's and, what I was and, about I mean, to say. There's, there's no such thing as reverse racism, but in, in the American political culture, you know, that's what they pretty much call it, you know. But what's interesting yeah. about that is, you know, um, you know, there are a bunch of holes I can poke into this, but I'm just going to address a few of these. Well, I mean, all right, so you have a corporation, and basically, you know, they're being told that, you know, because they employ a certain number of people, 
that, you know, they have to follow and abide by EEO and AA, um, you know, um, policies. And so, you know, they hire, you know, minorities and take a job away from a white person. But what I don't understand is that, okay, so let's say they have 100 employees. 90 of the employees are white, or let's say 91. And they're just, you know, they let one of the white employees go to hire, you know, a person of color. Number one, you know, what I find interesting is one of the first things that, you know, are generally said is that the person is unqualified for the job and that the person that initially had the job has to train them. You know, it happens every day, everywhere. You know, I can tell you some corporations that have done a reduction in force, RIF, and have gotten, have basically gotten rid of departments that were predominantly, you know, run by people of color and brought in, you know, younger white people who would work for less money and they had little to no experience and they had to be trained. But at the end of the day, what it boils down to is when you're in certain communities that have traditionally discriminated against people of color and there are laws put into effect that, you know, strike down that particular type of racism and discrimination, you know, of course you're going to have some white people who feel as though, you know, they're being, you know, penalized and and that is racist for the company or institution to hire someone black when they have determined that they're the most qualified and most experienced person, when that may not necessarily be true. And, you know, they forget that when they first took the job that they were not necessarily trained and experienced and or possibly qualified. But they had to learn. They had the on-the-job training. and But in addition to that, they had the complexion needed in order to get the job and also the same complexion that protects them. And, you know, what's interesting is you're seeing a lot of backlash, you know, not only in America, but, yeah, in other places around the world as well. There is a deep resentment of people of color um, basically going from, you know, being, you know, unqualified or underqualified by somebody's standards when, you know, again, there have been studies. There are people, there are black people with master's and doctorate degrees that have been denied positions and they hire, you know, a white person that has a long criminal record and barely made it through high school if they have their GED or high school diploma. And they would rather hire them than they will, you know, black people with advanced degrees. And this has been going on, you know, not only here in America, but around the world. But, I mean, who gets to determine that that black person is unqualified? Who gets to determine 
you know, that that black person does or does not deserve that job. And, you know, and the thing is, is that, you know, when we talk about white privilege and white supremacy, you just called in with, you know, some some just classic examples. And so, you know, part, I, I think you did it on purpose, right? And, you know, but I thank you because it's going to give me the ability to address it. And, again, you know, with the way that you put that and the different things that we're seeing happening in this country, again, white people are trying to center themselves and trying to center yourself into this conversation and and tell us how you're being victimized. And then some of you wonder why, you know, you said you had your hand up, you went to some Pan-African meetings, and, you know, what's interesting is, you know, you have some, you know, organizations and groups out here in America that, you know, primarily are, you know, people of color. And the thing is, is that you put your hand up and you want to talk and you want to make comments like that in which you've centered yourself, you've centered your pain. And what you've done is you've totally factored out what we've had to deal with and that we still deal with. And yet you don't even see how you're giving me an example of white privilege. And, and, the, and another thing here, you know, what's interesting is when we do have, you know, organizations or groups that, you know, may happen to be predominantly, you know, people of color, you have some white people that feel that they need to come to our meetings and tell us what we need and how we should do it and that you have all the answers and that you have the solutions. And yet again, you're trying to center yourself. Some of you need to understand and you need to realize is that we need safe spaces. We need safe spaces to talk about some of these issues. We need some of these safe spaces to blow off some steam. We need some of these safe spaces to talk to one another, to get an understanding about what's happening, and to also let others know that they're not alone, that, we, that they've dealt and we've dealt with some of the same issues. Because listening to some of these people out here, they'll have you thinking that you're crazy, that no one else has experienced that. And then you want to turn around and use someone like Oprah or Michael Jordan or, you know, Tiger Woods or someone or Barack Obama and say, well, look, we elected a black president. What more do you people want? And these people are the exception, not the rule. And you need to understand that. And we need to have safe spaces where we can talk openly and freely and organize and work together to facilitate, you know, a solution to whatever the problem may happen to be. And, you know, what's interesting is when you have white people insert themselves in these situations and declare that they have the solution and that they have the answer, 
Well, if you had the solution and the answer, why haven't you implemented it? See, there are a number of ways in which you can be an ally. You can be an ally not necessarily coming into one of our organizations or meetings and trying to control it and trying to direct it. There are other ways that you can be an ally. You can check other white people on their racism. You can check other men on their sexism. You can check homophobes on their homophobia, so on and so forth. There are things you can do. You can have a fundraiser and raise money and donate the money to these different groups that are out here trying to deconstruct and dismantle these oppressive institutions. So there are things that you can do without centering everything around you. Because what you did was a classic example of how it went from you know, issues that we're experiencing in communities of color, how it went from that to how it went to how you feel like you're the oppressed party. And we're not going to have an oppression Olympics on this show. We're not going to do that. And, again, you just gave me another example of what we've been talking about. You know, and I'm not chastising you and I'm not, you know, scolding you. I just want you to see what you've done and to understand how that makes us feel and to understand why we're walking around saying, what the fuck? And it's, you know, not just that particular phone call, but this is happening all across the country. Have you seen some of those post-rally interviews and some of the pre-rally interviews? Hell, some of the, you know, some of the commentary happening during, you know, these rallies whether it's for Trump or Cruz or David Duke or the Aryan Nation. or And it's not just in America. It's all across, you know, all around the world. You know, David Duke was kicked out of every Western um, country in Europe because when President Obama was elected, he said he was leaving America, and he did. And those other countries were like, we don't want your ass either, and they kicked him out. There is a reason why a lot of these people are supporting Donald Trump and Ted Cruz and, to some extent, Hillary Clinton. And then also, let's go on and put it out there and keep it real. To a certain extent, for Bernie Sanders, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of people of color did not resonate as well with Bernie Sanders is because, you know, most of his crowds are very homogenous, you know, and to translate that, very, very white. And so, um, (laughs) you know, that's one of the obstacles that Bernie Sanders had to work on and overcome. And, you know, he's been, you know, adopting different things into his particular platform. You know, he's had people on his staff trying to explain things to him, trying to help him advance his platform and his particular agenda. So they have that particular movement happening. And Bernie Sanders has stated that even if he does not get the nomination or the presidency, that, you know, his particular movement will continue. And again, it's scalable. 
and they're able to amend it, make changes, add to it, and take away from it. So there is some flexibility there. But, you know, going back to that question, you know, to that comment, you know, it's not only white people that are having to replace their, you know, or train their replacement. Happens to us all the time. Happens to us all the time. And so, you know, these types of things happen in all communities. But also, who's to say that this particular black hire was there or was hired because they wanted to fire you and that they wanted to get the governmental money? And see what's, you know, what some people don't understand, especially what happened in America, especially around 2007 through like 2011. What was happening then is that we had, you know, that little great recession in our communities is a depression, but in most white communities, it was just a recession. And what was happening is you had the government offering some of these corporations money to bring unemployed and underemployed people in and to train them for these particular positions. And so, you know, um, they were able to underwrite you know, a lot of those salaries, not the whole salary, but a nice portion of it. But what you don't understand is that was happening even before the Great Recession, and it still is happening now. Why do you think so many employees of some of these big, you know, big box stores and, you know, these these chains like Walmart, you know, a lot of their employees are getting linked in food stamps and, you know, in, in, in are on welfare Hell, and, and some of them are homeless. And, I mean, if we're going to talk about that, let's talk about how we have a lot of these associate professors. These are the people that are educating our children. A lot of them are on welfare. There are some of them that are living in homeless shelters, some of them having to choose between eating and their medication, you know, and, and just a number of things that are happening. And this is happening Everywhere, but I'm talking about America. Why? Because this is what I know, and this is where I live. And I read and I, you know, read things about other people in other countries. And I used to post all of that information. And I stopped posting around December, January. Stopped posting a lot, but I really do need to pick it up because, you know, I've had people, oh, you enjoy your post, don't stop, la 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 la. Again, subscribe to my newspaper, The Black Free Thinkers Praxis. You know, there are a lot, you know, we call a lot of information. Sometimes we'll get some of those troll articles, but it kind of comes with the territory when you have people trolling these hashtags. And so we understand that that's a problem, but, you know, work with us now. You know, if there are 100 articles there and one is a bunch of bullshit, you know, let me know. I'll go in, blacklist the site or whatever, but otherwise, you can ignore it and go see something else. But please let me know. You know, I want you to do that. But again, you know, even, you know, when we're mourning, you know, mourning about, you know, state violence and, you know, again, how, you know, communities of color are being scapegoated, because we are, you know, we're mourning and, and we're out here protesting against it. Again, you know, you have some of these white people out here that are, you know, trying to center themselves 
and trying to be the next great white hope. And many of you, you know, when we explain to you why we find some of these things offensive, then you get offended that we're offended. And so, (laughs) you know, there are times, you know, white people, allies, what have you, there are times when you just need to sit there, close your mouth, and listen. Listen. We don't need your comments. We don't need your commentary. We don't need the condens you know, the um we don't need for you to be condescending or patronizing. We just need you to listen. Because, you know, we've been marginalized, we've been silenced, we've been voiceless for a long time. And we still are. We don't have people necessarily out there lobbying for us or necessarily advocating for us. And some of the people who, you know, the powers that be have put in place to claim that they're lobbying and advocating for us, they're the ones really, you know, ensuring to make sure that we stay under the bus that you ran over us with. You know, and... You know, the whole thing is just absolutely amazing, you know, and, you know, that right there is, you know, one of the meltdowns or an example of the meltdowns that we're seeing. And so, like I said, you know, when you see some of the white people at these rallies, you know, telling their stories, you know, as as I've said, they're more visceral than abstract. But the same thing, you know, happened to many of us, went to school established a career, made sure that we didn't have children until we were able to afford it, and we're still laying flat on our backs because someone pulled the ball, and now we're like Charlie Brown. We tried to kick the ball and end it flat on our asses. It happens. The problem is White people in general are not used to this. White people in America. Now, you want to say there's no such thing as white privilege or white supremacy. Yeah, there is. You know, and you all have to understand that you cannot center yourselves in the middle of, you know, conversations, especially when it's conversations talking about what's happening in our communities. When was the last time you had to walk around and be black? You know, and he's talking about how, you know, he was discriminated against in South Africa because he would be the only white person there. But, you know, apartheid is real. And it's, it's still happening in South Africa. The South Africans have not, you know, even when they put, you know, Nelson Mandela there as, you know, the president, you know, before he passed away, um, it's still there. And they're making changes and they're working on that. It's just not in the news, you know, and it's just, you know, guys, come on. You have to start listening. I'm not this is not the first time I've said this and I'm not the only one who said this. Other people of color, other white people have, you know, stated this. 
And, you know, this is one of the reasons why we're like, what the fuck is happening? You know, when you have people like Rachel Dolezal out here and doing performative art. So, you know, she's saying, I'm the new black woman. So black women, we don't need you anymore. You know, I'm going to teach other white women how to do black hair and how to disguise themselves and act black. So, you know, you have that performance. It's, it's amazing. And then you have white people trying to justify it to us and trying to white-splain these things. No, unacceptable, you know, and so much more that I want to get to, but I will go ahead and going to take a chance and take this call. All righty. Welcome, and may we ask who's calling? Oh, yes, this is uh, Chicago. I've been a long-time listener. Welcome, Chicago. How are you? <laughs> doing great, doing great. Um, I'm enjoying the show. And uh, I see that you you spoke on it earlier. You talked about um, what I like to call, I call them blue. I call uh, I call individuals who call BTR with uh, specific agendas, to distract mm-hmm. uh, the, the the quality of the content, to throw it off balance, I call them blue, because blue always comes in with a specific um, intention, a uh, specific ideology, a specific uh, um, agenda with their content in mind. And I think right. no matter what what show blue goes to, if blue is a is a uh, a lover of cars. No matter what you're talking about, Blue will find a way to turn the discussion into <laughs> a discussion about how beautiful and wonderful cars are. And so right. I think that that um, I actually recognize the Blue in this case because this Blue has been on other shows and has had this exact same uh, type of uh, content. And in some exactly. places they kind of, they allow uh, Blue to uh, take over the show. And in those cases, mm-hmm. when they don't do as you do, which you manage your your your, your platform well, it allows Blue uh, to become the um, the highlight, the the, the focus of exactly. the show, and then the, the the original plan it goes to waste. I do want to touch on one of the, the original question you 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 talked about us being from Black Lives Matter, how we went through all these different transitions, <laughs> and how we. And while we're we're where we are right now, like what is, what the heck is going on? Exactly. Um, <laughs> I've noticed, and I'm I'm going to try to keep it short because I've already been running off a little bit. But I've noticed <laughs> that when 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 a, when your privileges is interwoven systematically and controlled by advocates in a shared group, um, who who you know developed that system in the first place. I think it allows you to walk around with blinders and and, and play play the victim role at the same right. time. Um, I, I I think that integration wasn't the only, but I think it was one of the biggest influences on the present conditions of, of colonized African descendants in the Americas. Uh, you know, it, it created what I call slavery 3.0, where uh, people. Uh, is depending on its oppressor while looking at its oppressors to save them, uh, and and it it created this these cycles in my opinion of uh, mm-hmm. you know 
different ways in which um, we do things like, uh, you know, we're probably, we're one of the only groups that looks to move away from those who look like us in communities where we have uh, shared values, shared, um, you know, features and so forth. So I, I think right. that that's that's one of many uh, of the other con- contributors uh, of that type of um, the, the systematic connection. And you know, I I, I, I always laugh when I hear uh, people talk, and particularly um, when I think about South Africa. There's actually several articles that were out. One touched on what you were discussing. You you mentioned um, um, in America how social media has showcased uh, the the reality of racism in the present day. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's funny that Newsweek actually touched on the exact same issue in South Africa as, as, as the caller was discussing South Africa. So Newsweek has an article regarding that. Um, also, um, the, the Guardian um, touched on uh, some of the uh, issues in South Africa and uh, actual playwright. Uh, from South Africa discussed it and talked about, you know, the, just the big issues that that are happening. And he talked about the hearts of people and the fact that, you know, you that South Africa attempted to use legislation to stop what's in the hearts of people. And he said that was the problem. Right. You you, you can't let you can't legislate um, healing. It's impossible because it's still in people's exactly. hearts. And, and so you know, it, it's always interesting to hear people. Um, detract and, and and want to be uh, looked at in a positive light, uh, and not own up to or confess of uh, the ills—not just the ills that their ancestors ancestors have created and present day ancestors are are still doing, but also um, accept the privilege, accept that you have right. systematic privilege, accept that you know the distri- distribution of wealth and resources is mm-hmm. under the control of people who look at you. And it's funny how you can be in control of a country systematically, uh, politically, and so forth, and still play the victim role. I don't understand <laughs> right. how that exactly. is possible. So exactly. I'm step back after that. <laughs> right. You know, and trust me, it's, I've had this show for five years, and we've learned some lessons. You know, I've had shows totally get out of control. You know, it's just that, you know, I'm one of these people. Every, you know, people tell me that I'm a gracious host, and sometimes I'm too lenient. But, you know, I allow people to make their statements. The problem becomes when they try to turn it into a damn sermon or a soliloquy, right? And, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but that's why, you know, sometimes I'm happy when these people call in because then I can give them an, give them an example with their own behavior and their own words. And what he did, you know, kind of ties into this because, you know, what you were just saying there was, you know, you have, you know, different cultures or different groups, but in this example, white people. White people who have become so accustomed to their privileges and entitlements that when one has to be shared with other communities or communities of color, they feel as though they're being oppressed because they don't have the privileges that they once had. You know, another example I can give you was, you know, with the LGBTQ movement. 
you know, the, the, the modern LGBTQ movement that we see now started at Stonewall in New York when um, Puerto Rican and black trans women um, said they weren't going to take it anymore, that they were going to fight back. And so what happened was it transitioned to a more, quote, unquote, palatable um, movement so that white America could accept it. And that is how the face turned to a gay white male. That is how they became centered of that particular movement. And, you know, we're dealing with that even to this day. But, again, they had to center that even with the feminist movement, you know, you had Sojourner Truth, you had a number of people, Angela Davis, Florence Kennedy, all of them, and how they were, you know, advancing the feminist movement. But, again, what you see today is that you see two feminist movements. You know, in the white feminist movement, basically they centered themselves <laughs> you know, into that movement and kind of factored black women out. And I mean, if you go and look at some of the words of Gloria Steinem and others, they will tell you that the feminist movement was actually started and supported, you know, by women of color. And so, you know, again, another example over here in the atheist community, you know, they're they're attempting to appeal to communities of color to join this community and come out as, you know, as an atheist or agnostic or free thinker or a humanist or what have you. However, yet they still want to center white men in this particular movement. And, you know, it's just really interesting how, you know, when you start looking at these things, how white people are centered. But the reason for that is because you know no one knows you're an atheist unless you tells them unless you tell them um you know people really don't know that you're gay unless you tell them and you know unless they're you know um um projecting you know stereotypes um you know well people are going to know that you're a woman in many cases because of certain attributes that women have but at the end of the day what they're saying is being oppressed is hard, and they want their regular white guy status back. So, you know, having some type of strike against them, whether they're LGBTQ, whether they're atheist, whether they're a trans person, you know, or what have you, you know, those things are being held against them, and they don't like that. And so, you know, that oppression thing is hard, and that's why they center themselves in these conversations because they want to dictate what is and what is not acceptable, but they're, they want to dictate it so that it benefits them the most. And what's happened in, you know, over the years, over different movements and in different communities, once they've gotten what they want, once the white people have achieved whatever goal that they're trying to achieve, then they throw the rest of us under the bus because they don't need us anymore. And this time we're not being fooled. And so, yeah, you know, you have people like that that call in to try to derail the conversation, you know, and to deflect, you know, the charges, you know, that are, you know, being brought out. You know, but to me, I try to take those examples and use them to our benefit because look at what's happening with this presidential race. 
and how it's being centered on Donald Trump and angry white populate, you know, populist, you know, um, or the population. And, you know, again, this is the White Lives Matter movement. Whether people want to accept that or they figured it out or not, but that's exactly what Donald Trump is leading. And what's happening is he's exploiting and and um, manipulating that particular demographic, working class and poor whites. And so now, you know, again, they're centering white people in the conversation because now they're saying they're being discriminated against. There are studies that have shown that white people think that they are being, you know, discriminated against and that, you know, they're the most discriminated group in this country because they don't have, you know, their regular white guy status of all of the regular white people privileges. And even with some of our allies, you know, trying to explain white privilege to them is like, you know, talking to a brick wall. And the thing is, is that some of them know damn well what's happening. And they understand it, and they understand it perfectly. They just like to act blank. And so, you know, they, and because they don't want to give up their privilege. Who the hell wants to give up their privileges? Nobody. You know, I mean, you know, I like, you know, electricity, I like cooking gas, I like all of that, and I'm not going to give that up to somebody because, you know, because they feel I shouldn't have it, you know, and I mean, those are not privileges, those are examples, but, and some people call them luxuries, it was a bad example, so forget that, but, I mean, I understand, you know, they don't want to give up their privileges, but how can you call yourself an ally? When you're part of the problem and you keep trying to perpetuate that particular problem by deflecting the conversation and twisting it so that now it's on you and we're talking about why your life sucks, you know, if, from your perspective. And, you know, because we're all out here being screwed. Trust that, you know, and, you know, race, you know, in and of itself is a social construct. In theory, however, in America, in many other places around the world, while we can call it a social construct, it's a way of life for those of us that are, you know, people of color. Racism is a part of life. All this crap you're hearing from Donald Trump and the people that support him, you got white people sitting here like, well, I've never. And, you know, he, Donald Trump is bringing racism back to America. It never left. And so what you hear as talking points from angry white people, in particular angry white men, and you all think this is some type of new revelation, no, it's not. Every day we go to work, whether it's corporate America, whether it's academia, or whether it's, you know, a small business that we do not own, that we work for, you know, for white people, that's just everyday language. It's everyday language. It's everyday mindset. And that is why, you know, when I posted that article from the National Review and I told white people, I'm like, if you feel some kind of way about this, multiply that by 100. And that is how we feel all the time. And ironically, the wealthy white elite had groomed 
you know, and trained working class and poor whites to use these particular narratives and tropes against black people. And they've been doing that for years. And now you want to sit there and act blank and confused because now they're using that same narrative on you? They've always been using it on you. But they needed you to do their dirty work. You are a pawn. And you just got them pissed off enough for them to tell you about it. So where do we go from here? Chicago didn't mean to go into that, but, I mean, do you understand what I'm talking about? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, everything you said resonated with me. And it was <laughs> it was funny, like you said, um, when you – when you determine, you can determine where a person lives, whether they're hired or fired, you know, their their um, quality of life. When you can impact all those those things, that's racism, you know. Right. Discrimination or bias of somebody who doesn't like you, uh, they can't, you know, they can't impact you, where you live, your credit score, your taxes, you know, things of this mm-hmm. nature. They can't, they can't influence that. But if you can systematically destroy somebody's family, that's right. That's a total. That's a totally different situation. And a, a, a interesting experience for me uh, as a uh, you know was when I was dealing, you know, talking to a couple of guys who, uh, you know, a couple of white males and and they would talk about their concerns when working. And in the, in my specific case, you know, my discussion with these guys. They all share one common trait. Uh, all the guys that were educated who didn't have a job or couldn't get work that they, you know, and they were complaining mm-hmm. about that. Every single one of those guys had family members who owned a business or a couple of businesses that they just didn't want to work for, and so it was it was a different level of complaint because you know when you hear <laughs> someone complain and it's and they're saying, oh, you know. I can't find a job out here, but if if I had to work, I could go home and or talk. I could call family and I can work. It's totally different from somebody saying uh, I can't I can't provide and impact my right. quality of life. Period. There's nothing I can do, and so it, it was. It's just an example of the, of of the difference in perspective of of struggle, like when people lost money right. on the stock market and they're making um, six figures and they jumped out of the window because of a few deals. Right. Like, you, you know, that's, that's, that's the Yeah, I mean, way. you're right. It, and not only jumping out the windows, but taking themselves and their families out because, you know, it's not reported as much in the news, but that's still happening. You know, you know, life gets a little rough for some folks, and they kill the husband or wife and the kids and whoever else is at the house, the cousins. That's why you can't go let your kids, you know, play everywhere and anywhere. And so, um, you know, it's just it's a lot of things happening. And, again, we're looking at this from two different perspectives because, you know, you know, this has been obvious for a long time, but what's happening now with, you know, this white lives matter movement if nothing else this is showing giving you know a glaring example as to how there are two americas and from black america like i said you know when we're looking at this we're looking at it like you know 
How am I going to keep a roof over me and my family's head? How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to clothe my family? How am I going to have enough gas or money or buy a bus card so I can get to work all next week until I get that next paycheck? You know, many of us are living hand to mouth. And so, you know, when you're looking at life from that perspective, it's much different from looking at it from the perspective of, you know, I am the master of the universe. I have everything that I ever wanted and needed, but my feelings are hurt because these, other, you know, the, the, the powers that be will not totally accept me because I'm an atheist or because, you know, I'm gay or because I'm a trans person or because, you know, there's just a number of different things or because I'm a woman, a white woman. And so, you know, we have to start looking at this from a number of different perspectives. And this is why I feel it's extremely important that we put this information in context. Now, if you really want an eye-opener, go and get this book called When Affirmative Action Was White by Ira Katz-Nelson. And um, he did another book called Fear Itself. And it focuses on the New Deal and how the policies that came from the New Deal, how many of them were put in place, which is, again, the affirmative action and these other type of so-called entitlement programs. They were put in place to help white people, and particularly white women. This is why you hear us saying that affirmative action benefits white women more than anyone else, and why some of us roll our eyes when we see white women taking cases to the Supreme Court because they feel as though they weren't admitted to a university because they admitted too many black people, but not telling that you had mediocre grades and that your ACT, SAT score sucked. You didn't get, you know, accepted because you were average. And some people cannot process that particular you know, my, you're telling me no, you don't tell me no, you know, and so it's just, it's absolutely amazing, and when you bring this to their attention, then they get offended by it, you know, what is a very, very real truth. It's just that their perspective is a little different. If you're, you know, a white person whose family was able to get one of those GI bills you know, to help them get a home in one of these wealthy white enclaves that surrounds the inner city. And, you know, like I said, at one point, life was good, you know, whereas you can just catch the elevator down two floors after you just quit your job and go get a job and you come back to work the next day at another company. You know, these are some of the privileges that have been, you know, available to white people and, that's not happening anymore, you know, and one of the reasons why the Tea Party was so successful is because they focused their their message on the white male and and their anger and their needs and their being discriminated against. And so they built their platform with that, knowing that it would resonate. And like I said, Donald Trump is doing nothing but exploiting and manipulating that. And, you know, I'm looking at, you know, these politicians and just 
white people in general in this country, you made that monster. You created him. Not only did you create that monster, you created a big-ass monster with this, you know, hierarchy, racial hierarchy, this racism, institutionalized, you know, systemic racism. You all created that. And the only way it's going to be deconstructed and dismantled is if you fix it. We can't fix it. And while I have issues with Rachel Dolezal and Tim Wise and other white people who are, quote, unquote, talking about whiteness, you know, instead of talking about the oppression of black people because they know we're upset that they're capitalizing on this, that they're becoming millionaires and profiting, whereas the black women and men that came before them and died destitute put this message out there, and all they did was take it and repackage it. White people will listen to them before they listen to us. So they serve somewhat of a purpose, but, you know, is is still a bunch of bullshit. And, and so, but we're living with this. And, and this is happening in a lot of different communities. And, you know, these are things that we have to talk about. You know, and, you know, I'm trying to let, you know, a lot of these communities of of color know, especially for those that are Christians and how these candidates are appealing to these televangelists, to, you know, the white evangelicals and, you know, the black prosperity congregations or prosperity preachers with these large megachurch congregations and even some of the white televangelist prosperity preachers whose um, congregations are predominantly of color. And so, you know, and how these people are selling their congregation, not only the ones that physically sit there, but the ones that um, support them that are watching on television or on the Internet and, you know, they've been rope-a-doped into believing that they have to send these people their money and give them their time and resources. And then now they're selling to Donald Trump and others the fact or the their ability to manipulate and control the people that, you know, look up to them. And it's not just, you know, that particular community, you know, it's across the board, but I'm trying to get them to understand how they're being used and manipulated by even those that have leadership over them, by those that they've designated as their leaders and that these are the people that they want to listen to. Look. You're being hoodwinked and bamboozled. Trust me, you need to go out here and do your research and figure out how this is all working. And, yes, this is part one. You know, we're going to do a part two to this next Sunday, and I'm going to get to, you know, the tea partiers, and we're going to talk about the libertarians and and, and what's happening and how these groups are being. And I'm not talking – when I say these groups, I'm talking about – the white working class, the poor whites, and communities of color, and how they're trying to infiltrate it, and how, you know, they're exploiting it, and manipulating us to do what they want us to do, but, you know, they have an agenda, and we need people to start asking more questions and not to get distracted 
from what's happening and, you know, not to allow the conversation to be derailed by, yet again, white people trying to put themselves in the center of everything. And my question to them is, because, you know, you, you get a lot of backlash. Well, why are you called black free thinkers? And, you know, aren't we all free thinkers? And why is it called black lives matter? Don't all lives matter? And the thing is, is that with some of these people, you know, you have, you know, my, uh, you have people of color coming to your events, coming to your organizations, trying to reach out. Yeah, you're happy to have them among you or amongst you so that you can go out and say, see, we have black and brown and red and yellow people here. We have rich people and we have poor people here. You know, as, as one person said, you know, this one preacher, you know, which pissed off the congregation, he said, we have the uttermost to the guttermost. And, yeah, you can see why that would be problematic. But, again, they want the membership numbers. They want the membership money. And people are getting okey-doked left and right just across the board. And this is one of the reasons why you have some of these grassroots movements gaining traction, gaining momentum, because you got a bunch of us out here like, what the fuck is happening? And what I will say is that what's happening now, you know, in this country and actually around the world, because there are a lot of things happening in these other countries that the American press is not reporting. And this is one of the reasons why Al Jazeera is one of my favorite newspapers and I was heartbroken when Al Jazeera America was shut down. But you got the Young Turks and you have, you know, the BBC and a number of other places where you can get, you know, um, a lot of this information, alternate, so on and so forth. But, um, you know, we're out here saying what the fuck is really happening because right now it's a, you know, it's like a, you know, a grab. It's like a money grab. It's a people, it's like somebody hit the big-ass pinata and gold bars and, you know, little cards saying that we're going to give you this type of power. It's like it's falling out of the pinata and everybody is scurrying and, you know, and, and fighting each other to get the prizes, to get, you know, what's out there. And so, you know, like I say, chaos and mayhem, chaos and mayhem. And we need to be able to stand back and assess this situation, not when the smoke clears, but while, you know, while this is happening, because, you know, we have an opportunity, us, collectively, you know, when that means across the board, you know, whites, because there are a lot of poor and working class whites that don't agree with Trump and that bullshit either. So I want to make sure that I address that as well. But we're going to have to, you know, you know, I've been talking about the poor people's movement, and I just ordered a book, and it was talking about poor people's movements and how some are successful, well, how sometimes they're successful, and yet they fail. So I need to read about that and read some more information because it's very important, you know, because before I go full-fledged and jumping into this, we need to learn from the failures of, you know, other groups. And so, again, I want people to go and, you know, just do some research on third parties and failed parties of the past. You know, they've had the populist party. 
you know, go out and and read about what, you know, the populist party was. Um, you because it's important for you all to understand that to fully grasp what's happening. I want you guys to go and look up the um Liberty Party and understand its importance and its significance um in this country. You know, because you need to understand what's happening. And as James Baldwin said, and I meant to quote him a little earlier, and I think I did, but I don't think I completed the thought. But James Baldwin said that, you know, white Americans are caught up in a history that they don't know or understand. And that's not just applicable to white people. You know, there are a lot of black people that don't know this history either. And unfortunately, a lot of this is written into books, and you have a lot of, you know, different organizations and people who benefit, you know, from that information not being made public or not widely known. And we're trying to blow that out the water and share this information with people. That is why the first things I tell folks, go and fact check what I said. And I have, you know, I've, I've, you know, come back and corrected things on this show. People have called in and I've stood corrected. You know, I'm not perfect and I don't know everything. And I'm learning just like everyone else. And what I do is when I'm researching a particular, you know, topic, you know, I usually end up picking up information about other topics, and I'm like, well, I didn't know that. And so that's what helps me to put together some of these shows because, you know, when I learn some of these things, I actually get upset and angry sometimes, and I just got to take a little walk, you know, and drink some water and shake it off because it's like had that information been widely known and shared, some other things it may not have happened, but again, you know, guys, go out and and do some reading about angry white men and and why they're so angry. And in in certain, you know, um, cultural circles, if you will, you know, they talk about how the only people that are deemed as important are black men and white women, and there is a lot of truth to that. You know, because, you know, the white population has made the white woman, the damsel, in distress. And if you look at that killing that happened in um, South Carolina when that, you know, domestic terrorist assassin killed all of those people in that black church, you know, one of his reasonings was, you know, he was defending the honor of white women. You know, and then I've seen articles or think pieces from white women telling them to stop making them the center of their anger and of their message. You know, so you have some white women that are speaking up, and in regards to black men, because again, I said white women and black men, you you see glaring examples of that now because you have some black men that are out here that are basically trying to bully, you know, some of these women or black women that are out here leading 
these particular movements. See, they want us to continue to fund their movements. They want us to continue supporting them and, 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 you know, stroking their ego, but they don't want us in positions of leadership. And not only black women, but some of these black young people. And I've seen, I've literally, I've seen it with my own eyes, some of these black men pushing these women around and these kids around. And there have been other incidents over this country in which you've had, you know, you know, some of these same black men, you know, hitting and slapping and, you know, doing a number of things, snatching the megaphone or smacking it out of people's hands and, you know, verbally, you know, assaulting, you know, some of these women and these young people. And we cannot stand for that. We have to speak up because they feel that this conversation should be centered around black men and their particular issues. And, you know, I've done, you know, a contrast between what's happening now and what happened during the civil rights slash black power movement. And the same thing happened then. And black feminists were forced to choose between feminism and black power. And, you know, that's offensive because what they're saying is that we can only focus on one thing at a time, yet you still want us to be a black woman and service you and your needs. You know, while at the same – so, I mean, it's just a whole bunch of fuckery happening, and you all need to be seeing what's happening. You need to start questioning it. You know, and this is why you have a number of us saying, what the fuck? Because in some cases, many of these same black men that are trying to silence black women and push them to the back and push them to the side, and the same thing with the young people, the black, you know, youth that are out there, there's a reason for that. And it's with some of the agendas is, you know, um, is anti-LGBTQ, is anti-woman, is anti, you know, a lot of different things. So you need to question their agenda. You need to ask them what their agenda is. I can almost guarantee you most of them know, can't tell you what their agenda is, but they can tell you what it's not. And it's not about feminism. And it's not about equal rights for LGBTQ people. As a matter of fact, some of these people would advocate killing, you know, you know, certain members of different, you know, groups. And so we have to be very, very careful with this. And then you have these opportunists you know, that are out here and, and placing themselves and and calling themselves decreeing themselves as the you know, the black leader while not telling you that their agenda is about making money and making money for themselves and that they really don't give a damn what you want and what you're about because in their eyes and you know, you know, they feel entitled. And they feel that it is your job to help them fulfill their dreams and and to help bring their agenda to the forefront. So you need to start asking questions, question everything and everybody. You know, I don't mind if you question me. Bring it. Bring it on. But be prepared for the answer. But most importantly, you better bring some answers with you. 
because it's not going to be, you know, 20 questions for me and you don't want me to ask shit. No, that's not how that works. But you got some people out here that want to say and do whatever it is that they want to say or do. And when you turn around eventually and respond, now you're the problem. You've been poking a dragon. You've been kicking a dragon. And now you want to act surprised that the dragon breathes fire. Come on now. Get off that bullshit. Next week, part two. And Chicago, thank you for calling in. Feel free to call in again. It's a lot more. I didn't even get to, you know, the the scapegoating and the racial scapegoating and, you know, the political scapegoating. I'm going to get into the Tea Party, the Libertarian, the angry white men, the rage of white America. All right, everybody. I'm telling you now, have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. I thank you. I appreciate you. Love you guys. And, again, this is coming from the heart. I'm not trying to make any money on this. If I wanted to, I could. I know exactly how. But that's not that's not my deal. All right, baby. Chicago, big hugs, darling. See you next week for part two. All right? All right, guys. Take it easy. Bye-bye.